to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters and experts to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm Yvonne Winchett-Sanchez, and I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. Today, we're talking about Airbnbs, VRBOs, and every other acronym that basically means short-term rental. When you're renting these houses to 10, 12, 14 people, there's a lot of partying going on, and a lot of drinking, and a lot of noise. We're going to talk to two guests in this week's episode. Up first, Ryan Randazzo. Randazzo is a business reporter for the Arizona Republic, and I have the absolute privilege of sitting next to him in the newsroom. Ryan, let's back up on this issue a bit. There's already legislation in place that help kind of, I guess, regulate, for lack of a better term, these short-term rentals. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Sure. So going back to 2016, uh, cities were starting to um, hear a lot of complaints from residents about short-term rentals, and they were going to start um, regulating them and prohibiting them to preserve, you know, the nature of neighborhoods. And um, Debbie Lesko in the state legislature at the time ran a bill that did pass. It was controversial. Uh, cities and towns, like many things, opposed what the state lawmakers were, were setting on them. And that bill uh, that Ducey did sign into law prohibits municipalities from preventing short-term vacation rentals. So this was sort of an entitlement for companies like VRBO, HomeAway, Airbnb to go ahead and operate as they intended in the state of Arizona. They weren't going to have to deal with a patchwork of regulations from one city to the next. There would just be no rules prohibiting them and they could move forward. So you referenced Debbie Lasko. She is a former state lawmaker who was elected uh, last year to the U.S. House of Representatives. So why was that legislation so important to the governor? Well, it's kind of a mantra from Ducey is to take take the regulations and take a hands-off approach to business and let entrepreneurs thrive. So just the year before, he had basically entitled rideshare services as well. and made sure that the state was not going to crack down on companies like Uber and Lyft and, and let them um, incubate in Arizona, you know, unfettered and see how successful those companies could become. So this is really sort of part of his um, policy framework, really. But that 2016 legislation would have repercussions for different cities. I remember being at the um, bill signing back in 2016 with the governor and Lesko and Airbnb representatives, and uh, they staged the bill signing inside of a, a house uh, right off of Camelback and 50th Street. And they were all very optimistic about what this new legislation would bring for their cities. Lorraine Longy reports on Scottsdale for the Republic. Lorraine, what were some of the repercussions of this legislation? So since the new law has gone into effect, neighborhoods across Arizona have been grappling with different consequences of the bill. Um, Issues like increased traffic and noise in neighborhoods to neighbors being uncomfortable with different renters occupying the house next to them every night of the week. At the top of the episode, you heard an interview I did with Peter from Scottsdale. He's now looking to move out of his neighborhood because of problems he's been having with noise and traffic. Here's a little more of what Peter told me. You know, it started with one or two 
short-term rentals on the block. Now, in fact, there's seven. I actually had a situation where one night there was 45 cars parked um, on the street at the house right next to me. There was a VR, there was an Airbnb. That the people that purchased their homes in Scottsdale didn't do so with the expectation of eventually finding out that they're living next to a motel, so to speak. Because that's exactly what's occurring. The only difference is that a motel usually has a manager on site. One of the biggest um, problems that we see is out of Sedona, where short-term rentals have kind of taken over there. Uh, People who live and work in Sedona are having problems trying to find affordable housing. But on the flip side, homeowners there are saying short-term rentals help them pay their mortgage and get extra income on top of that, which I know was uh, one of the big reasons for, for passing this law. Lorraine, the, Sedona does seem to be one of the hot spots for this um, issue. Can you, is there any idea or estimate of how many houses in Sedona are actually used for, for this purpose? Absolutely. So the city has done some studies on this because it's been uh, such a pervasive issue. And right now, 20% of Sedona's housing stock is short-term rentals, which again is leading to this crisis of affordable housing and, and people who live in Sedona not having uh, a long-term rental. You might have a little bit of a experience with that, right, Ryan? Yeah, I was actually at a special event there uh, earlier this year, and I went with a group of friends, and we had eight of us, and so we were looking for a rental that would, you know, accommodate eight people, and we found something, and we thought we were getting this giant house, and we got up there, and the place was nice enough, but it was not. um, It was not a large house, and the advertisement was said that it could sleep 16 people, and the way they accomplished that was just by packing it with bunk beds. So it looked like a scene from Gomer Pyle or Full Metal Jacket in there because you walked in and it was just a house stuffed with, with bunk beds, like a regular size house. And it, it worked fine enough for us, but I could really see how that would bother the neighbors. We only had eight in the home, but if you had 16 people, there's no way you could keep the noise down and not bother the neighbors who were very close. You know, the side yard was big enough for like a small fire pit and, and there's just no way that you could keep the noise down there. Did you generate any complaints? No, I did not generate any complaints <laughs> during my stay. So this has also had repercussions closer to Phoenix too, right? Lorraine, I mean, you've, you're very familiar, obviously, through your reporting with the issues in Paradise Valley. What are residents there doing? Absolutely. So um, the most recent example is a neighborhood out of Paradise Valley called Camelback Country Estates. This is a quiet neighborhood of million-dollar homes where three short-term rentals have moved in in the last year. A neighbor told me that um, problems the neighbor started seeing popping up included uh, blaring music, increased traffic, even red solo cups littered on the front lawns of these homes. So the neighbors originally turned to the town of Paradise Valley for help, you know, enforcing noise violations, code enforcement, but they didn't get the help that they were looking for. So ultimately, they had to fall back on their homeowners' association. So through the homeowners association, the neighbors managed to change their covenants and restrictions, which is basically the neighborhood rules that the HOA sets, to say that no short-term rentals or rentals of less than 30 days were allowed in the neighborhood. One neighbor immediately stopped renting his home, um, another continued, and the neighbors eventually filed suit and won their case. From the perspective, I would think, of, of these companies and, you know, from the governor and like-minded elected officials, this is a huge economy. Uh, what kind of money 
uh, do people and do maybe some of these cities make off of these short-term rentals? Do we have a sense of what that scale of economy looks like? So the answer right now, I think, is hard to tell. Short-term rentals do have to formally register with the assessor's office to ensure the right taxes are paid to the Department of Revenue. But as far as we know, the only enforcement uh, when homeowners don't register correctly is a fine from the individual town or city. So cities and towns can access this rental registry on file with the assessor's office, but it is ultimately their choice if they want to pursue enforcement. And it's not clear right now how many cities and towns are actually enforcing this. So that's part of the reason that there's a bill now um, from John Kavanaugh from Fountain Hills. Uh, He opposed the measure back in 2016 that sort of blocked municipalities from getting involved in this. And he he brought forth a bill that really would have cracked down and included things like noise meters, where if the decibel level went up too high at a home, it would send a text message to the owner of that rental property, and, and they would know that their guests were being too loud and disturbing the neighborhood. A lot of the really tough things in his bill had to be stripped in order to get it to pass through the house, but it did pass through the house, and what it still does is it prevents you from hosting an event. So there are some houses that people rent just for the sake of having a big wedding party. And as you can imagine, they're going to be very loud because they're celebrating a major life event. Um, and that's fine for them. But for the homeowner that lives next door, that means they they have a wedding in their backyard, essentially, or next door or across the street every Saturday or Friday and Saturday of the month. And Kavanaugh's bill will pre- prevent these properties from being rented for the sole purpose of an event. Um, anything that you would otherwise need to get a permit from the municipality to host, you you can't do with these um, rentals. It's only going to be for lodging. And then he does allow for fines if the municipality has found you in violation of, of their own ordinances, other ordinances that deal with occupancy levels or events, then, then you can face an additional fine. And he is not happy that um, he had to take a lot of things out of his bill, but he does think it's going to at least help with the issue of the, the major party houses and the disturbance that they're causing for people. Has anyone talked about how this law seems to be counter to the Republican mantra of local control. I mean, here you have the state handcuffing the cities and saying, you know, you can't, you can't enforce your own law. You can't even, you can't even determine what your rules and regulations are going to be. We're going to do it for you. That's exactly what they complain uh, about the federal government for doing. Yeah, so going back to Sedona, I know um, a common refrain from the city leaders up there is that they want that local control turned back to them. How can the legislature know what's best for us? I know that town council member Scott Jablo has told me that they're not having the issue with party houses that cities like Scottsdale, towns like Paradise Valley are having. What they're having a problem with is investors coming in, buying up homes in the neighborhoods, and turning them around so that they become short-term rentals and therefore taking away housing from people who live and work in Sedona. So yeah, that idea of local control is something that towns like Sedona really want to see turned back to them. Who would have a problem or who does have a problem with this legislation? Well, there's libertarian think tanks like the Goldwater Institute and a number of conservative lawmakers who see um, this as a property right. If you buy a home, um, you should be allowed to rent it out um, because that's your property. And if you want to buy a lot of homes and and rent them out and run them like a business, they, they view that as your right. Kavanaugh took a 
I thought a pretty um, hard shot at Goldwater, um, saying that they would, they think it's okay if you want to run an iron smelter next door in the middle of a neighborhood, and he doesn't see it that way. He um, did feel the need apparently to say, "Look, I'm a conservative," and he wanted to reassure people of his conservative credentials. But he said, "There's a point where this goes too far, um, and I have rights as a property owner not to live next to a thriving, noisy business." Not all of his uh, fellow Republicans um, sided with him, though, and, and they take the same view of the Goldwater Institute, that people should be allowed to do what they want with their property as long as it's within the law. What other stakeholder groups, aside from, you know, everyday kind of residents, care about this issue? The tourism or hotel industry? Um, ho- hotels obviously lose revenue to short-term rentals, so uh, I think their uh, position would be a little bit predictable. Um, but there's also all of the people who have bought these properties. So there's the libertarian think tanks and, and the lawmakers um, who side with them, but there there's a whole other constituency of people who have invested quite a bit of money into properties, and this is their financial plan. So there there is a concern that if you change the law today, you may really be, um, you know, throwing a wrench into someone's financial plan when they made these investments with a, with an expectation that they would earn revenue over the next 20 years from this house and eventually pay it off. Maybe that's going to be their retirement home and the way they're going to fund it is through renting it um, until they get to retirement age. And if you go in and change the law, you're really sweeping the rub out, rug out from under their feet. What about the homeowners associations? Are they down at the state legislature talking about this, or are they trying to deal with it on a kind of neighborhood-by-neighborhood basis, Lorraine? I think it is neighborhood-by-neighborhood basis at this point. Homeowners associations are given a lot of power in the sense that the bill doesn't mention them. So they really are the only ones at this point that have the power to say, hey, we're not allowing this in our neighborhood, and the neighbors get a vote and a say in what goes on in their neighborhood. And they can potentially deal with parking issues, noise issues, trash issues. Absolutely. So a lot of the things that the local governments can't or aren't willing to step in and and take care of, it's really falling to neighborhood HOAs to kind of step in and say, hey, we're listening to you. We hear you. Let's take a vote and figure out how to get these things handled in our neighborhood. So, Ryan, what are the odds the governor signs this legislation, which essentially would amend major legislation that he passed in uh, 2016 and got national recognition for. Yeah, I think it would be impossible to save face by signing this bill into law because all the media is going to go ahead and contrast that with what happened in 2016 when he celebrated signing the first law. And I, so my guess, I'm not a betting person, but if I were, is my guess that should this pass both chambers, he'll simply allow it to become law without his signature and, and sort of avoid um, the opportunity for that negative media coverage on it. So what can homeowners or individuals do if they are super annoyed or super frustrated or, you know, really feeling the negative consequences of one of these short-term rentals next door? Absolutely. We actually wrote a story that got a lot of feedback about a neighborhood that doesn't have an incorporated HOA, but still managed to take action against short-term rentals. A historic neighborhood in Phoenix called Royal Crest Villa actually took action last year when an Airbnb moved in. Royal Quest Villa, like I said, doesn't have an incorporated HOA, but they were able to access a declaration of restrictions, basically their own neighborhood rules that were established for the neighborhood in 1955. The neighbors voted to change those rules to say that no home could operate as a short-term rental on their block and registered those rules with the county. 
So even if you don't have an incorporated HOA, you still might be able to access restrictions in your original home deed that say, you know, whether or not short-term rentals are allowed in your neighborhood. Well, specifically, I guess, on this bill and other pieces of legislation, if you have an opinion, you want to weigh in, you want to communicate your position to um, Governor Doug Ducey, who will have to veto the measure, sign it, or allow it to become law without his signature, you can uh, reach his constituent services. Folks, you can call 602-542-4331. Again, 602-542-4331. You can also register your opinion by uh, filling out a form on his website at azgovernor.gov. Again, that's azgovernor.gov. Well, Ryan and Lorraine, thank you so much for coming in. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. If you have any questions, as always, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And I am at Utility Reporter. And I'm at Lolonghi, L-O-L-O-N-G-H-I. Gaggle listeners, how do you feel about having short-term rentals in your neighborhood? Lorraine and Ryan will be following this issue as it winds its way through the state legislature and you know, all the different little city fights that will come along with it. Share your thoughts with Governor Doug Ducey and with us. We want to hear from you too. Chime in on Twitter with the hashtag TheGagglePod. We will be sure to reply. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Your support is what makes it possible for us to do this each week. Today's episode was edited and produced by Katie O'Connell and Kayla White. Thanks again. We'll be back next Wednesday.